The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Victim's blood panels came back. Let me guess. Drugs. Nope. This was one clean living rock star. In fact, it's not what he put in his body, it's what he didn't. James had no antibodies for polio. He never had the polio vaccine. Or everyone born since the early 1960s got that vaccine. That's what I thought. He also had no antibodies for tetanus, measles, whooping cough, all standard immunizations. What else? Isn't that enough? Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, November 17th, 2022. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. It's a discussion that ends on a topic of vaccines in general. In this second of two broadcasts, featuring Robert's conversation with Dr. Roger Hodkinson, the first part having been aired last week. Never Forgive or Forget was the predominant theme of last week's show, which considered the sheer enormity of the crimes against humanity that the COVID vaccine mandates have proven to be, and whether or not such crimes should be forgiven or forgotten. This week's predominant focus is on the whole nature of socialized and monopolized healthcare itself, and of course, Robert's entire original conversation with Dr. Hodkinson can be found on any of Just Right's video channels. It all gets underway right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links, archive broadcasts, and the support button that makes it easy for you to support the show with a donation or contribution. Because as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Flatten the Curve was the term that came out in March of 20. And of course, that term, people will recall it, two weeks to flatten the curve. The curve they're talking about was the inability of Canada's socialist healthcare systems to deal with the projected influx of patients because of SARS-CoV-2. What really happened was there was no influx of patients because, as you say, they were just told to go home if they presented with the symptoms of this mild, well, slightly um, stronger flu than normal. People were seeing, nurses and doctors were seeing dancing in the hallways, the empty, empty wards. It wasn't a curve, it was a trough because of that particular egregious action of sending people home without treating them. Sure, there were people in ICU, um, put intubated and given remdesivir, later on given remdesivir. I had a friend who was killed by remdesivir. Mm -hmm. He presented with um, pneumonia, which he got every year, by the way, when he went to the cabin, came back with (laughs) pneumonia, they gave him remdesivir and he's dead. So this flattening of the curve is yet another indictment against our system, wouldn't you agree? Yes, the whole thing was fatuous. Um, The Great Barrington Declaration nailed it. 
right out of the blocks. Basically, the, the great banks and declarations said, um, do nothing except protect granny. Yeah. And if that had been followed, this would have followed the usual course of a pandemic. It would have been over in six to nine months because of the development of herd immunity, the safe, natural, cheap way. Granny should have been protected by um, common sense more than anything, like we've always done. We never visited granny if we were coughing and spluttering. We, we just didn't do it. It was common sense. That's all that was needed. We now discovered, of course, in addition to that, um, how beneficial it, it is for people who are vulnerable to have adequate vitamin D uh, reserve in their body. And even to this day, elderly people in nursing homes are not being given vitamin D supplementation in a situation where they are guaranteed to be vitamin profoundly vitamin D deficient because they're in a, a place with four walls, they never see sunlight, and they're not getting it in their diet. Even now, three years on, they are still not getting vitamin D on a daily basis, 5,000 international units. It's amazing. And zinc as well, which and is another. Zinc, yeah. Yeah, yeah we've, we've, learned, we've learned a lot over the last three years about, about effective interventions. And by the way, um, it was Peter McCullough who first brought this to the world's attention. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a paper out of Bangladesh, um, which might raise eyebrows, but no, it was absolutely legit. Um, showing that um, prophylaxis against um, viral infections with nasal iodine is incredibly effective, more effective than ivermectin. Um, and certainly it can abort an early infection um, much more efficiently than anything else that we know. Mm -hmm. uh, a dilute solution of, of um, betadine, uh, four drops um, each nostril twice a day, uh, not to be done every day because it makes people paranoid. But at the first sign of a viral infection, it, iodine is a viricide, a general viricide against um, not just COVID, but the flu and other viruses. Uh, incredibly effective at um, reducing the likelihood of progression of what would otherwise be a fairly typical course of, um, of the flu. I, I, I looked up a paper on my own so sometimes I do things on my own, which I was curious to see how many people normally died of the seasonal flu in Canada. I found a paper that was published, I think it was 2001, approximately 20 years ago. There's no reason to assume that the, um, the proportions have changed anything. But at that time, um, it gave a figure, a ratio, which I applied to the province of New Brunswick, my province here, population 800,000. And with using that statistic, the number of people who normally die of the flu is approximately 88 per year. Now, when I did that, I had the statistics given by the government of New Brunswick about how many people died of COVID in that year using their dramatically ramped up PCR test. And I believe it was 79. How many people died of the flu? Unknown, because everything and that was it, the flu is now is COVID. So, so we, fewer people were dying from the flu with COVID than were prior to COVID. 
Yes, the 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 um, the PCR test, of course, I, which I know a lot about. Um, the PCR test, you know, grossly overreported. The estimate is that 90, 95% of the so-called um, positives are false positives. And that, you know, many, many people have died, um, you might say, with, uh, potentially with COVID, uh, but have died of other things. Um, in fact, the CDC has just been, um, again, a, 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 another major discovery with, of the corruption within the CDC. Um, they have been misclassified intentionally, and you have to ask who's who's giving the direction for this, you know? It doesn't happen by some low clerk in CDC. Someone is in CDC, is intentionally telling people that their, their coders to misclassify people who have clearly died of terminal cancer as having died of COVID because they had a positive PCR test. Yes. I mean, the, the corruption is, is just so rampant. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A tale of two cities. Dr. Peter McCullough is totally, absolutely vindicated in his work of the last two and a half plus years questioning where the virus came from and then pointing out the dangers of the so-called experimental vaccines because he's been probably, arguably, the most effective, accurate, truthful person all over Fox News, all over international media, all over talk radio, topping the charts on some of the biggest podcasts in history with Joe Rogan. He is being targeted to have his medical credentials stripped. And they even had to change the rules to try to do this. This is outrageous. At the same time, we have the deep state through their mouthpiece, The Atlantic, coming on on Monday saying, let's declare a pandemic amnesty. And saying, we made mistakes, we're sorry, we're wrong. No, basically, they lied at every front. In fact, there was an article uh, came out on Friday that the DHS already had a whole plan for a pandemic and lockdowns and the entire operation years before Trump even got into office and it was developed by John Hopkins, by Bill and Melinda Gates, and by the UN. So this is all a strategic operation. They're preparing to try to roll it out again. We also had the big news break uh, last week in The Intercept that under Obama and then under Trump, but it was kept from him, and then under Biden, DHS coordinating with Democrat Party think tanks and private groups with, 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 with government orders illegally telling big tech what to censor. And paramount was people, people like Dr. Peter McCullough and others. Not just election fraud, not just open borders, uh, but lockdowns and forced injections and the Afghan withdrawal. So this is the government directly colluding with big tech and private think tanks to censor the American people. And Dr. Peter McCullough has taken the gloves off now. He knows exactly what he's being targeted with. He's going to roll through it all with us. Doctor, thank you so much for being here. Alex, thanks for having me. The gloves are off. And I can tell you, America should be outraged with the developments we've seen uh, over the last few weeks, certainly over the last few months. It's a mind-blowing reality that the U.S. government, multiple agencies working internationally with global agencies are conducting operations against their own people. It's astonishing. And we have a situation now where it's all in the open. 
uh, authors have captured this. Peter Bregan, COVID-19, the global predators, he had captured this. Scott Atlas and his book about the White House captured part of it. Pam uh, Popper, uh, a whole variety, John Leake and myself, encouraged to face COVID-19. There is a biopharmaceutical complex, which is a complex uh, syndicate that is working together in order to conduct an operation worldwide on people. And what's central to it, Alex, is mass vaccination. One thousand and eight. Mrs. Moore's contractions are more frequent, Doctor. Good. Take her into the fetus frightening room. Right. Oh, sir. Oh, it's bearing it, isn't it? Yes. Yes. More apparatus, please, nurse. The EEG, the BP monitor, and the AVV. Yes, certainly, Doctor. And uh, get the machine that goes bing. And get the most expensive machines in case the administrator comes. Good. That's better. That's much, much better. Yes. More like it. Uh, still something missing, though. Hmm? Hmm. Patient. Yes. Where's the patient? Anyone's in the back? Patient. Ah. Here she is. Bring it over here. Find the machine. Sorry, Doctor. Come along. Come on. Hello. Now, don't you worry. We'll soon have you cured. Leave it all to us. You'll never know what hit you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Drips up. Injections. Can I put the tube in the baby's head? Only if I can do the episiotomy. OK. There you go. Uh, legs up. Right. What do I do? Yes? What do I do? Nothing, dear. You're not qualified. Leave it to us. What's that for? That's the machine that goes bing. You see, that means your baby is still alive. And that's the most expensive machine in the whole hospital. Yes, it cost over three quarters of a million pounds. Aren't you lucky? The administrator is here, Doctor. Switch everything on. Morning, gentlemen. Morning, gentlemen. Morning. Morning, Mr. Pycroft. Very impressive. Very impressive. And what are you doing this morning? It's a birth. Ah, what sort of thing is that? Well, that's when we take a new baby out of a lady's tummy. Wonderful what we can do nowadays. Ah, I see you have the machine that goes bing. This is my favorite. You see, we lease this back from the company we sold it to, and that way it comes under the monthly current budget and not the capital account. <laughs> thank you, thank you. We try to do our best. Well, do carry on. Oh, the velvet's dilating, Doctor. Oh, yes, there's the head. Yes, four centimetres, five, six centimetres. Lights! Amplify the ping machine. Masks up! Suction! Eyes down for a full house! Here it comes! And frightening! Here! And the rough toes! Show it to the mother. That's enough. Right, sedate her. Number the child. Measure it, blood type it, and isolate it. Okay, show's over. A boy or a girl? Now, I think it's a little early to start imposing roles on it, don't you? 
The cultural shift that I'm talking about is one that is pushed by um, the Liberal Party, the CBC, and of course, even the Conservative Party, because they're the same. Conservative, NDP, Liberal, federally at least, are all the same. And that is that the defining characteristic of Canada is its socialized medicine. Norman Bethune, you know, hero to the people. And that is the cultural stumbling block, I think, that we have to get over in people's mind, that even though people are dying in hallways, as my father did, in a hallway, and which, by the way, has preceded this COVID. That's been going on for at least a decade in Ontario, hallway medicine. You can just go onto Google and search for that term in Canada, and you will find CBC, CTV, global articles about the sad state of medicine in the hospitals in this country. And yet people will fight to the death to maintain this one-payer system which has failed them and is killing people. So do you think there's any um, any hope out there that Canadians in Alberta or across the country will drop this communist Cuban North Korean notion that the government shall provide for your health? Oh, where do I start? That's a big one. Um, isn't it pathetic that a country defines itself in two negatives instead of who we really are? The defining characteristics of Canada, you've mentioned one of them, we don't have a private healthcare system, but the other one is, of course, we're not American. Um, well, I tell you why we don't have a private healthcare system is because we have a very long border next to a country that does. And anyone that wants to access private medicine simply takes a flight to the States. That's the big lie. But I'd like, I'm on a little soapbox here, so um, pardon me for getting rather basic. Medicine really only has two components. What have you got and what do you do about it? What have you got is, quote, free. It's called a visit to your GP and diagnostic tests. What do you do about it other than surgery, which is free in hospital, and other than certain other minor uh, interventions? What you do about it is described as a four-letter word called pills. Just about everything in medicine requires pills because 95% of the time, we're treating chronic diseases that we can't cure. Arthritis, depression, hypertension, etc., etc., etc. We push pills. Well, guess what? Pills ain't free. You pay for them unless you have a, an insurance plan with your employer. You pay for them lifelong. That's not exactly a free healthcare system at all. It's a big lie. And they can't even they can't even support the, the 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 hospital side of the equation. You see these buses parading around town with babies pleading eyes saying donate to this foundation and that foundation. Are you kidding me? Listen, if you're telling me that everything is free tomorrow with gold standard care, then step up to the plate and pay for it. 
don't expect the population to support it artificially with these ridiculous foundations. I won't give a nickel to them because it simply takes the pressure off the, the politicians, which would otherwise result in some change. No, I, I believe that Alberta is ripe for a two-tier private healthcare system in which it's basically unfettered other than the usual regulatory controls from a college that should be doing just that, um, maintaining the quality of care. Um, it could be an enormous industry. We would, we would have people coming in from different parts of Canada. If you like, it could be Mayo Clinic North. You know, every, every uh, health minister in this province that I've met, and I've met every one of them since I came here, um, I've always asked this particular question. Why would you, by specific intentional government policy, keep this province out of the world's biggest industry, which is called health care? Why would you do that? Because it could create an enormous tax base. And I, of course, I get a mumbling and, and you know, looking the other way and so on and so on. Until recently, uh, the very last time I posed that question, the assistant to the minister did some scribbling on the back of an envelope, passed it to him and said, hey, you know what? We could afford that. I mean, I'm talking about the ding that um, Ottawa would, would introduce uh, because of daring to, um, to provide private health care. Remember that the Canada Health Act does not specifically um, prevent anyone from practicing private medicine. No, not at all. All it does is says, if you're stupid enough to try, we'll punish you. It has. It says that it has to be publicly administered. I think is the is the words. It's only a very small act, about a page long. I had read it when I ran for the Canadian yeah. Alliance twenty odd years ago with our mutual friend Salim Ansir. And uh, people, uh, I don't think understand that there's no Canadian healthcare system. It's all provincial. Yeah. It is a provincial and, and, jurisdiction by by our own charter, uh, by our own constitution, not charter. And it's not just the contrast with the states. We we tend to get overly focused on that. We are the only country in the entire world, other than North Korea, that does not have a vibrant, accepted second tier of medicine. All the Scandinavian countries, for example, China, Russia, you name it, everyone has access, Australia, New Zealand, everyone has access to private healthcare. I don't have a family doctor here, Dr. Hopkinson. I've been here for two years in New Brunswick. No family doctor. I actually call them up and say, are you accepting patients? They, they sort of like, where are you from? You know, you have to get in the queue. You have to call the government, yeah. fly for your Medicare card and wait until we tell you that we have a doctor to suit you. This is unconscionable. I can drive two hours across to, to Maine and knock on a doctor's door and probably get a doctor who would see me, you know, if not right away within a, a reasonable amount of time, because I can't even get a check up here. But I remember back um, in the 80s, when in Ontario, where I was there at the time, they outlawed um, extra billing. And people were thinking this is this was the practice where you were paid X amount of dollars for a particular procedure that a doctor would get. And they would say that, well, look, this doesn't even cover my my light bill. So I'm going to extra bill an extra 10. It was it was pittance, really. 
in the scheme of things, $10, $20, $30 for a procedure. And the government of the day outlawed it. Um, that would have been a progressive conservative government. And at that time, a lot of doctors just threw in their keys and went south. They said, listen, we cannot do this. We are not slaves. We're not civil servants. We're professional doctors. We spent X number of years studying to do this. We deserve, as they should, be to be adequately compensated and you know, for our contributions to our patients. And we're not in this country. So not only has socialist medicine um, suppressed the ability to provide medicine in a timely way, I'm talking about getting even a family physician or surgery without waiting for years, but now the quality of our doctors and um, physicians is being diminished because they'll get their degree here and they'll just go to another country where they will be properly remunerated for their efforts. Would you agree? Yes. Um, I mean, you can push doctors around just so much. Um, it's, uh, you know, as I said before, we now have a permit, um, no better than a plumber. Well, actually, plumbers are doing better than doctors these days. Um, we're not being remunerated appropriately um, mm -hmm. for the, the things that we do. Um, and because of that, um, there's unfortunately a, a temptation to um, milk the fee schedule. Um, and that's going on. Everyone knows it's going on. You know, you know, we can't look at your right big toe today because we've already looked at your left big, big toe. You're going to have to come back again. You know, all that kind of nonsense. Um, no, the, the whole thing is, 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 is in an absolute shambles. You know, we have an overloading of emergency rooms um, because GPs are clocking off at four o'clock, five o'clock to play golf. You know, you know, if I was running things, I'd say, sorry, um, you know, you, 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 you're just not catering to the need. Um, if you don't stay open until nine o'clock, you can't bill um, because people want to see you after they come home from work. That would take the pressure off the centers where there's very suboptimal medicine going on, in my opinion, and it would take the pressure off the emergency rooms. There's all kinds of ways you could, you, could, you could fix the system. The other thing that people should realize is that there's an incestuous relationship between hospitals and surgeons. Tell me any private business that has a guaranteed book of business, guaranteed book of business for 18 months. They don't, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And it only exists because of this incestuous relationship between hospitals and surgeons and specialists. Because the the hospitals have, you know, this fixed budget, right? And they, they can't open operating rooms that they know are there, but they can't staff them because they're overpaying the nurses. And that's in a whole other story. Um, so they 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 they, they can't open the these um these operating rooms, which prevents the, the throughput of cases for hip replacements, etc., And you might think that the surgeons are upset about that. Well, I don't think so. It's, it's, a, it's a closed shop, isn't it? Um, it's very nice, thank you very much, that we have 18 months of, of work ahead of us. Uh, we're not going to bang the drum and demand that you open up those operating rooms and hire more surgeons. So, you know, the... The, the, they're both happy. 
they're both happy. The, 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 <laughs> the hospital is happy and the surgeons are happy and the poor, yeah. the poor buggers on the waiting list have got to wait 18 months for the hip to be replaced. I'm so proud of you, Brenda, getting through the delivery without any anesthetic. Well, I had the best Lamaze coach in the world. But when do we get to see the baby? It's been eight hours. Well, now, now you remember the film they showed us in class. There, there's all kinds of tests they have to perform on a newborn child. So... Ah, there's my favorite couple. Mr. and Mrs. Flanders. That's Landers. Right, right. Flanders did your remake poisoning on 39. So, um, nice stitch work, if I say so myself. Uh, doctor, we'd like to see our son. The nurses keep giving us the runaround. I'd like nothing better than to bring you both your son, but... Have you looked around this hospital? There are sick people here. I just saw this old guy in the hallway with these gnarly scabs all over his body. Roast me out! I'm not about to expose your little Jeffrey. Nicholas. To that. I've got a solemn oath to uphold here. Doctor, Brenda and I are both Lamaze graduates, and we've never heard of quarantining a healthy infant before. Ooh, Lamaze. Well, I forgot that you spent three whole weekends sitting on a floor learning how to breathe. I had to get by on a degree from Harvard Medical School. Please, doctor, it's important to us to see our child. You've heard of bonding. Doctor, we'd like to spend a little quality time with our son, please. A little quality time with your son? That'd be beautiful. You people. Uh, what's with that guy? He's supposed to be the top man in his field. Well, when he brings in little Jeffrey, we're going. Nicholas! Up. Here we go. Here's a little tyke. Oh. Okay, that's enough germs. Back oh, wait. Wait, wait, wait a minute. We, we haven't even seen him yet. Oh, go ahead. Breathe all over him. I don't care. What is this? Some kind of sick practical joke? What are you talking about? He's got your eyes. Take that hideous thing away. Oh, now, come on. They all look like this at first. Uh, you see, when the baby uh, passes through the birth canal, uh, its head uh, gets a little pointy. He should uh, round out in a couple days. Promise. That's not a baby. That's a Mr. Potato Head. Harry, call the hospital administrator. Hey, you're right. This is a Mr. Potato Head. Gosh, they're so lifelike. Anybody could have made this mistake. I'll be right back with the real Nicholas. Harry, what are they doing to us? No, no, no. Calm down, Brenda. Calm down. We don't want you to get postpartum anxiety. Now, as soon as we get our son, I'm going to report this quack. Thank God you took that assertiveness training course. Yeah. Here's the little tyke. <laughs> You've been a naughty little baby. Oh. Yes, you have playing peekaboo with mommy and daddy. About time. <laughs> Nick, it's your dad. He's got a strong, determined jaw, just like his old man there. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Great, now you made him cry. I don't believe this. Is this okay? Would you rather would you rather breastfeed him? Get away from Kill me! Kill you! What kind of hospital is this? All right, Mr. and Mrs. Lamaze. You see, due to a slight clerical error, your son has been uh, 
temporarily misplaced. You lost our son? Did I say lost? I said misplaced. I'm suing you for, for malpractice, negligence, you name it. Oh, great. Just jump all over me, why don't you? Just jump all over me. What about the nine kids I didn't lose this week? My baby. What did they do with my baby? No, it's your fault. If you hadn't distracted me with all that video equipment in the delivery room, I might not have misplaced your little brat. Doctor, we found him. See? He was down the hall in the laundry oh. hamper. Oh. oh, he's beautiful. I hope you're both ashamed of yourselves. And so you're smart, I'm smart. Obviously, the folks that run things aren't stupid. Doctor, do you think they were just mistaken or at a higher level, is there some organized evil here? There is a continued love affair and pursuit of messenger RNA. Now, messenger RNA, remember, is the genetic code for part of a virus or an organism. It has nucleoside analog caps at the three prime and five prime end. Mean, means they're indestructible. We paper from Stanford by Rokin and colleagues has proven. You can spray them on people. That, that, that it's indestructible. Remember the Pentagon report they want to do in China? They wanted to spray the caves with it. The, the, yeah, the body doesn't break this stuff down. This stuff is indestructible. So every shot is permanent in the human body now. We have very good understanding. But, but can it be aerosolized too? But, you know, there are attempts to do this. I'm not an expert in all the routes of administration. But, uh, you know, a, a review paper that's summarized in my Substack this morning has indicated that, you know, the history of this is not good. Messenger RNA vaccine for HIV completely failed, caused way too much in inflammation uh, and side effects. Now we had COVID-19 vaccines have just been a disaster. And guess what's coming? MNRA vaccines for influenza and both Pfizer. And cancer. And, and Pfizer and Moderna have announced these, and it's going to be combined with the bivalent COVID booster so it's like it's like the door's blown open, Pandora's box is open, and they just go, now we are going to, so you'll have a higher uptake. We're going to mix the new manipulation of mRNA for COVID with the influenza. So tell us yeah, what that means. Yeah, you got that. So as long as the COVID is under emergency use authorization, and now there's a congener of the COVID-19 bivalent vaccine and a messenger RNA influenza vaccine, I imagine that Pfizer and Moderna are going to attempt to get this in under the EUA umbrella. So they so it's a loophole for, for their influenza, their cancer, their their anything. Right. As long as they add COVID, oh, we have emergency authorization. Well, if it, <laughs> well, Alex, it, for a new genetic product, it needs five years of development observation. Five years. They're talking about trying to put these together in a few months. NTD News had uh, Professor David Weisman on, former J&J scientist uh, actually won many awards there uh, he made it clear this is going to be a complete disaster because side effects are going to be amplified now we're installing the genetic code not only for uh, the COVID-19 uh, lethal spike protein but also dangerous parts of the influenza antigens and people are going to get very sick produce many abnormal proteins in the human body with no control over the duration or quantity and our proteins protein. abnormal proteins associated with um Spongiform encephalopathy type diseases? Well, absolutely. We know with uh, that abnormal proteins can fold, so they can become uh, 
uh, prion-like in cause, you know, mad cow, various forms of sponge, uh, spongiform encephalopathies in theory. We also know that they're amyloidogenic, the spike protein. Recent paper I've published with Stephanie Senoff has clearly shown this, that they're amyloidogenic, meaning they're rubbery, Alex. Uh, amyloid, think about amyloid as a rubbery biologic substance. No surprise now, the spike protein has been found within blood clots of people who've taken the vaccine and the, the morticians have been reporting this for a, a, a long time now. When someone dies, the blood is liquefied. It's called undergo lysis. And the morticians actually drain the body out of the, uh, drain the blood out of the body. And, and now they can. There's just all these giant... Right. So that's the problem. They, they actually... It's like noodles are being pulled out. Right. So they're used to draining the body and then infusing the preservative in order to preserve the body. But now the blood doesn't drain. And so they had to dissect the vessels. And they're pulling out ginormous rubbery, uh, long... And, and again, it's only countries that have given these experimental shots, whether it's Germany, whether it's France, the UK, Canada, the US, they're seeing the exact same things. But let me tell you in practice, I have patients who have developed blood clots and they're alive and they're large ones in their legs and extremities. And uh, one patient in my practice, we've actually had to remove the first rib and actually physically pull it out of a blood vessel in the arm. Oh God. Another one... Uh, has um, uh, is still in her leg now. It's over a year, and it's not dissolving as I'm administering blood thinner. As a normal blood thinner. Right. So what do we know what they're made of? They are made of blood clotting elements loaded with the Wuhan spike protein, which causes folding, what's called amyloidogenic um, changes. So your cells are producing spike proteins that then mix with the, blood. With the platelets, and, and then it's creating these... Quasi-synthetic clots. That's correct. Wow. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. But to get back to the college for a minute, colleges for a sure. minute, Robert. Um, you see, um, there's this thing out there called clinical practice guidelines. Now, I'm very proud to say that when I was president of our section of the medical association, essentially, um, uh, we were the very first uh, section, specialist section, to bring in clinical practice guidelines for thyroid function testing, because about 10% of every uh, of all the money spent on outpatient diagnostics was being spent ridiculously on looking for um, problems with thyroid function, and uh, that was deemed to be a good thing. And we actually cut back on that testing dramatically. Um, to, which had certainly affected the bottom line of the labs that were um, that were operating on a FIFA schedule. Anyway, the, the point is that um, although that's a good idea on a one-off, eventually, if over the years, it became a library on the shelf, and it, it becomes impossible to practice medicine with millions of practice guidelines. You just ignore them after a while because it would interfere with your day-to-day -day practice. Hmm. Um, but the, the colleges have morphed the, the word guidelines essentially into diktats. This is the way you will, in fact, treat this person, patient according to this algorithm. Have I got your attention yet? Because doing otherwise is bad medicine and it's costing the system too much, et cetera, et cetera. So, They've taken away progressively, whittled away progressively at the ability of an individual physician with a unique situation called a patient in front of you today, right now, 
that needs some nuancing of how to go about this. Government is your new doctor. The muscle is the College of Physicians and Surgeons that is not just asking you to do this, it is telling you to do this. And if you don't follow the guidelines, we're going to flag you and you're going to have to defend yourself. Look at that in the context of COVID. In medicine, we, my colleagues who are treating people, use drugs that, in what are called off-label applications all the time. Drugs that have been approved by the CDC and the FDA in Health Canada to use for condition X can sometimes have applications for condition Y. And in clinical medicine, we've been doing that for decades, if not longer, using our clinical judgment in that moment, in the consulting room with a particular patient, with this particular unique presentation, we've had the latitude to do that. And it's never been questioned until now, until now. We've been told emphatically, you will not prescribe ivermectin. Otherwise, we're coming after you. You will lose your license and your livelihood. Have I got your attention yet? Knock, knock. Some people have said that the withholding of proven uh, treatments for the coronavirus um, was perhaps uh, the, the single biggest egregious genocidal diktat that came from government and colleges. Um, perhaps only rivaled by the, um, the coercion of getting the mRNA gene therapy. Would you agree with that? This Totally, yeah. totally. Peter, Peter McCullough, who's in the front line of all of that, of course, um, his estimate, estimate is that um, 90, 95% of people that uh, died uh, due to COVID as opposed to with COVID, yeah. um, the people that died... 95% of them or so could have been saved by early treatment with ivermectin. You see, what, what, what happened, you might have heard the phrase, it's not original, but what actually happened um, by the million is that people would uh, be coming down with a bad consequence of COVID. They go to the, they go to the emergency room their PO2, their oxygen level, wasn't quite low enough to be admitted. And so they would be told, go home. Until you turn blue. Yeah. No medication, no nothing. The subtext of that was, go home and come back when you're blue. Yeah. Well, the, the beauty of ivermectin was it, it's incredibly effective if used early on. If those people be presenting to hospital with the early signs of a bad COVID infection had been treated with ivermectin, we wouldn't have seen anything like the deaths that took place. Uh, I don't know that people realize that these so-called colleges of physicians and surgeons, at least in Canada, I've done research onto the, the Ontario one. The College of Physicians of Surgeons of Ontario is not a self-regulating body of physicians, as many people may suspect. It is in fact, and please correct me if I'm wrong in any detail, a government agency created by the provincial government 
manned and led by political appointees, some of whom may be doctors, most of whom are not. Um, use your, your usual group of sycophantic um, party supporters who rise to the top of these organizations for their plum positions and the uh, and all of the perks that go with it. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, before COVID, <clears throat> a time, by the way, I call BC before COVID. <laughs> um, before COVID, um, the, the colleges principally uh, did a good job. They were there to protect the public from physicians, essentially. And that was the principle, make sure we're not pedophiles cutting off the wrong leg, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Um, they got progressively more dictatorial in terms of imposing what they call guidelines, which actually they meant were diktats as to how physicians should practice medicine rather than having individual decision-making in front of a patient. But since COVID, because they're manned by, you know, woke, cubed individuals, they have towed the government line meticulously. And so I take the position now that instead of protecting the public, which was their traditional role, which they did reasonably well, uh, they are now actually killing people. They are co-conspirators with government in state-sanctioned murder, period. Exactly the opposite of what their function used to be. And now they've got a tiger by the tail. So they're paradoxically trying to persecute you and other Sherry Tenpenny and others who've been vindicated and don't want to be superstars, but, you know, are people realizing you were so dead on separately going, give us amnesty. We're sorry. We lied to you. We're sorry. Everything was fake. We're sorry. The CDC's own document, October, 2000 predicted all this. It's another question. How did they know that the first people to do it was a government warning of it. I guess it was whistleblowers inside maybe. So, so what do you make of this paradox where you're being persecuted, even though you're vindicated, the, the, the system has been caught lying in every level what does that quantify and what, what do you think they're going to do next? Because I think it's fair to say, maybe you disagree. This is blown up in their face spectacularly. And it, it has woken up more people across the political spectrum worldwide than any issue ever. And it's not going away. And it's, and as we see continued shockwaves from the shots and what's happening, uh, they got a tiger by the tail. Absolutely. I mean, look at the evidence that I've shared with you despite a massive two-year campaign of incessant ads, uh, public health messaging, complete censorship and distortion of social media through Twitter and Facebook, uh, uh, press briefings, um, corporate mandates, school mandates, military mandates. Look at the data on my screen. 92% of Americans are saying no more. I mean, this is astonishing. It's blown up in their face. You know what's really happened, too, is that the Band-Aid has been ripped off the entire vaccine agenda, Alex. And this is now doctors like myself are re-examining the whole rationale for when I was born, there were three vaccines. Three. A child today now faces uh, something like 72 injections. Do you know that children at the day they're born are, are given hepatitis B antigen vaccine, that one-year-olds are given influenza vaccine. People are starting to question this aggressive vaccination schedule, actually vaccinating for easily treatable illnesses like bacterial infections like diphtheria and pertussis. People are starting to question the whole thing. I'm talking to more and more parents that say, you know what, we've lost our trust in vaccines overall.
What are you looking at me like that for? I'm looking at you, and I'm looking for symptoms. Hmm. Your misguided zeal has exposed you to the virus. Virus? Virus M. Commonly referred to as fluosis. Fluosis? I never heard of it. Of course not. It's been exclusively a Martian malady. Until now. It, uh... Did you say until now? Mm-hmm. Go over there and look. Go ahead. What am I supposed to do now? Go out and get a job as a real live barber, Paul? Well, now, Mr. Abernathy, perhaps I can be of some assistance. There's really no need to subject yourself to that moment of abject terror. There isn't? Of course not. A nurse, why don't you give Mr. Abernathy here a good, strong sedative to see him through? An excellent idea, officer. A sedative? Oh, no, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll be a good little soldier. Tim. 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 Watch my finger. What are you doing? I'm trying to dissipate the sedative by speeding up the flow of blood through your brain. All right, all right! I think my red corpuscles are turning white. <laughs> are you awake? Well, I guess so, more or less. Did you get the antidote? Unfortunately, we don't dare use it now that you've been given a sedative. I have no idea what the side effects might be. Well, I'm willing to take a chance. Thank you, Tim, but I'm not. They could be disastrous. We'll just have to let the virus M run its natural course and try to keep you out of sight during the sanative process. The what? Well, unhappily with virus M, the manifestations become rather spectacular. And worse, they may begin at any moment. Well, that's what I like about you, Uncle Martin. You really know how to put a guy at ease. As a pathologist, you're surrounded by death all the time. And I'm, it's going through my head all, all this, these last three years of the fear we have of dying and the steps that we're willing to take to destroy our life while we are still alive to prevent somebody's death. Did that not, does that not come into your mind sometimes when we, yeah, we see mean, all this? Pe people drive to work every day, looking at vehicles coming the other way. Every single yes. one of them could have your number on it. Yeah. Head you're on, there. boom, yeah. you're done. You could wake up, you may not wake up, you might have a pop berry aneurysm uh, that's going to take you away tomorrow. You don't know. Life is risky. We've accepted that. We've accepted that life is risky. We know people that die suddenly for unrelated medical reasons. Life is risky. We accept that. Yeah. I believe in human nature. We, we will accept we will accept the consequences of the scale of the consequences. We will we'll see that in neon and we will react against it because it's at a scale totally different from the head-on, the risk of a head-on collision going to work in the morning. Have you ever thought about the difference in generations where we see images, for example, from World War One of the uh, soldiers going over the ridge and being shot and they know that they're going to go over that ridge and get shot but they're doing it for whatever reason they're doing it for a good cause one would assume and yet now you see people 
maybe of their same age in their 20s um, or even younger, wearing double masks, staying six feet away from somebody in case they catch a mild, uh, you know, a case of a flu. Has this, um, this fear of COVID outweighed the fear of getting a bullet in your head from a jerry over a ridge? Well, as bad as the carnage is, of course, most people are not dying, right? And so you have the, the you have the offset of the you know the the hedonistic swirl down the drain of the younger generation. You know, they've got their iPhone in one hand, a water bottle in the other, they go home to watch Netflix. They're taking selfies everywhere along the way. Life revolves around two, two inches around their feet. And for, for most people, life is peachy, thank you very much. What, what's, what's everyone worried about? <laughs> so to them, wearing masks and keeping a, a big hoop around their hips to keep people six feet away from them seems perfectly normal because that's the, the life that they're living now. It's very insular. It's very self-centered. And so they and, see and what, what this what this mad episode has created, of course, is is isolation of individual, more isolation. They've, there was previously a self-imposed isolation electronically, you might say, but um, but the 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 isolation now of, that's a result of distrust. Um, you know, the the biggest casualty, other than. The carnage is, of course, the loss of trust. Trust is the cement that holds society together. When you lose trust, everything goes out of the window. You're isolated and you're much more malleable and subjective, much more susceptible to control if you're isolated. That certainly feeds into the ability to control that has happened over the last three years. All for, all for nothing. Let's Let's just... Take the big picture here. All for nothing, nothing more than a bad seasonal flu. We've seen something impact every single person on earth, either physically, psychologically, or financially, for nothing more than a bad seasonal flu that we've always handled perfectly well. Thank you very much. By a thing called common sense that these idiots running the show totally lack. And 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 getting back to my previous comment, Robert, about the nature of medicine. Uh, you know, we, we we distribute, we prescribe pills for everything, essentially. We cure virtually nothing. Um, every single one of those pills that we prescribe has been blessed by the CDC and the FDA and Health Canada as being okay for human use for the intended purpose. Now, there's a legal principle. If you lied on one thing, you're lying on everything. When you see how the big pharma has has controlled these regulatory bodies in for for the the gene therapy of COVID, when you see how effective they've been there, you suddenly have to ask yourself, and this is a devastating moment for, for medicine, you have to ask yourself, what else, what else did they pass through because of undue pressure? because of wanting to have your little pirouette out into big pharma for your, you know, pension eventually. Uh, what else has, has been passed through without appropriate due diligence? And so, you know, as, 
as an academic snot previously, I, I dismissed Kennedy and his autism theory because the CDC said it wasn't true. Well, guess what? Maybe it is true. We have to question everything that the CDC and the FDA has passed through for general use in medicine. Can you understand how devastating that, that, that reality now is for someone that was previously a traditional doc believing in the, in the ethics and efficiency and honesty of these organizations when suddenly everything is questioned? At least that might be a positive to come out of all of this, is that people are now more skeptical and less willing to take the voice of authority, a central authority, in uh, in their healthcare. Well, you know, you know, physicians like me are being accused of many things. You know, spreading misinformation. Uh, except they won't tell you what what information is yes. that I'm missing. That's an interesting one. Um, but they are also accusing us of spreading vaccine hesitancy. Well, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but the general population, when they start to realize how they've been lied to on this, may well suspect, and perhaps for good reason, that the other vaccines that are out there are equally questionable. So the very bodies that are accusing physicians like me of vaccine hesitancy are themselves creating vaccine hesitancy because of how they've managed this COVID pandemic and how they've closed their eyes to all the horrible things that are happening as a result of the gene therapy. They themselves are guilty of that, which is a very interesting example of a common phenomenon now, which is, and it started with the Democrats and Trump and Russia and all that, you can almost guarantee now, and it's surfacing in the elections in the States right now, in the midterms, you can almost guarantee now that if you are being accused of X, the person doing the accusing is doing exactly that. And it's called projection, a classic psychological phenomenon suffered by those who have something to hide, which seems to be a very recurring theme of our shows of late. And when it comes to projection, I have one of my own. I project that we will all get together again next week to continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Oh no, not again. <laughs> Uncle Martin! What's him? Your ears, dear. Psst. Oh. Well, no need for alarm, Tim. You are forever immune from virus M. I am? Mm-hmm. That's the one area in which an Earthling's physical system is superior to a Martian's. You can build an immunity to certain diseases. Oh. Well, I'm glad there's one that... Brennan. No, 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 Brennan, don't come in here. I assure you, it was not my idea, it was my analyst. <laughs> he advised me that my first step toward rehabilitation was to apologize for my actions. Now, I do admit that after all that's happened today, my face is a bit red. A bit red? Well, do you accept my apology, or am I going to stay here until I turn blue?
Well, just don't stand there. Let's get the antidote. If he sees those stripes, we'll wind up wearing some. 